Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. When I was about 10 years old, I had a, a good friend that, that he and his family moved into a new house. And, and I thought at that time when I was 10 years old, that house was huge. It had two stories. It had this huge backyard with a pond in the backyard where you could fish. And on the lower level of the house, they had this room with a pool table. Oh, man, a pool table. And we would go over to his house, and we would play pool for hours and hours and hours. And I used to think to myself, man, I wish we could live in a house like this. And I wish we could have a pool table so my dad and I could play pool. And I thought, man, this family has the good life. When I became a teenager, this same friend got a van. You need to understand that this was the 70s. And vans were cool. And this was a cool van. And back in the 70s, vans were, well, they were chick magnets. Now, I know that's dating me, but, but this van was a chick magnet. And so he had this cool van and he had girlfriends. I didn't have a van. I didn't have a car. All I had was a bicycle. And I didn't have a girlfriend. And I thought, goodness, Randy has the good life. And then I graduated from high school and I, I went off to college. And, and I would look around and I would see people in the sororities and I would see people in the fraternities and and I would see the stars on the football team and the stars on the basketball team. And I would see all the people gathered around them and, and how popular they were and how much fun they seemed to have. And, and I thought, you know, they've got the good life. And even after I was called into ministry, I would look at pastors who were pastoring real large churches, and, and they, had, they had a great influence, and they had these television ministries and all of these things like that. I went, wow, they really do have the good life. Here's what I know. Everyone wants the good life. I mean, it's in our nature. Nobody wants the bad life. Nobody wants a a miserable life. Nobody wants an unhappy life. Everybody wants a good life. The only question is, how can we find the good life? Where is the good life found? Well, there was this man in, in the Bible who went on a search for the good life. His name was Solomon, and he was just like us with one difference. He was the king of Israel. And as the king of Israel, he had unlimited amounts of money as he searched for the good life. And he had virtually no accountability. What that means is he could do anything he wanted to do and no one could tell him anything else. Now most of us who are searching for the good life are limited. Some of us are, are limited by our finances, our resources. Some of us are limited by our responsibilities. There are some of us who are limited by our parents. But Solomon wasn't limited. 
And he decided that he was going to use all of his resources to find the good life. And so Solomon went on a search. I want you to listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 2. He said, I tried to find meaning, the good life, by building huge homes for myself. By planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I filled them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my my many flourishing groves. I I bought slaves, both men and women. and, And others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. Solomon went on the search and tried to find the good life in things, and boy, did he have things. Historians tell us that that his palace and his palatial grounds would have made Disney World look like a dump. He had more herds and flocks than any king before him. And we are told in the Bible that he collected over 25 tons of gold annually. And he spent most of that on himself. He had servants who waited on him hand and foot. He hired singers to entertain him. There was nothing that he wanted that he couldn't have. Imagine someone coming up to you and and giving you a credit card and, and saying, go get whatever you want. Now, if you're like me, you would probably say, okay, what's my limit? And they said, there is no limit. You go get anything and everything that you want. Well, that was Solomon. Everything that his eyes saw that he wanted, he got. Everything that his heart desired, he got. Nothing held him back. Now, there are some of us here this morning who think that if we could live like that, we would have the good life, and so we try in our own way to do that. Americans spend billions of dollars every year trying to find the good life. We buy houses to live in, cars to drive, clothes to wear, toys to play with, jewelry that sparkles, all because we think that somehow, some way. The good life can be found in these things that we have. Now, the older we get, the things that we're looking for change. But we still believe that the good life is found in these things. Now, some of us never have the resources to get these things. And and so we think that we've missed the good life because we couldn't get these things. There are others of us that have the resources, and we get the things, and then we discover that those things didn't bring the good life, and so we move to something else. But here's what Solomon said about the good life and things. He said, I came to hate my life because everything under the sun is troubling. Everything is meaningless. In spite of all of his stuff, he was still miserable. So was the good life found in things? Not according to Solomon, the richest man that ever lived. So he continued his search. He thought, maybe if I find the right woman, I can have the good life. So he tried. And he tried. 
And he tried. And he tried some more over and over and over. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon loved many foreign women. Now let me tell you, that's an understatement. Because it goes on to say he had 700 wives. 300 concubines. So he had 700 wives, 300 live-ins, trying to find the good life. He loved a thousand different women. Now, if the good life could be found in relationships, I would think, I just would think that somehow, someway, in one of a thousand, you're bound to find one, wouldn't you? And that's what some of us here today think. We have this idea that the good life is found in in the right man or the right woman, or for some of us, any man, any woman. And so we go on our church, our search. We think that somehow, some way, if we find Prince Charming or that beautiful princess, then everything is going to be great in our life. And so if we're spiritual, we pray and we pray and we pray, Lord, give me the man that's going to bring me the good life. Or give me the woman that's going to bring the good life. And if we're not very spiritual, we just jump. We jump from relationship to relationship thinking when I snag the right one, then the good life is going to come my way. But what did Solomon say? The man that had 700 wives, 300 live-ins. Well, can I tell you, he became a little jaded. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 7. He said, though I search repeated, I have not found what I was looking for. There are no virtuous women. (laughs) I mean, he was a little skewed, wasn't he? But what is Solomon saying? Is the good life found in relationships? Not according to Solomon. And so Solomon tried pleasure. He said, okay, I'm going to go for the gusto. I'm going to have some fun. And listen to what he said. He said, I said to myself, come, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this was meaningless. I tried to cheer myself with wine. I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. I denied myself no pleasure. Solomon is the one who developed the philosophy, if it feels good, do it. Solomon tells us that that he tried everything imaginable. And yet he did not find the good life in pleasure. And it's sad because after 3,000 years, it seems like we haven't learned a thing. We still have this idea that, that the good life is somehow found in the pleasures of life. And we're told that every single day. We're told that by the people who compose our music, by the people who design our clothes, by the people who, who direct our mu- movies. That, that somehow, way, pleasures are going to bring us the good life. And so we go out and we seek to have a good time and we drink some good wine and we, we have some good sex. And we think that that's going to bring the good life. But listen to what Solomon said. At the end of pleasure, he said... It's meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. So is the good life found in pleasure? Not according to Solomon who tried every pleasure available. But Solomon tried one more thing. 
He thought that maybe, just maybe, the good life could be found in work, hard work, successful work, climbing the ladder. And so listen to what he says. He says, so I looked at everything. I looked at the work that I had accomplished. Solomon decided that somehow, some way, if he worked hard enough and he worked long enough, he could have the good life. So he poured himself into his work. And there are some of us that have this idea that if we find the right job, if we get into the right career, if we get the right office, then that's the good life. And we're going to be happy. But listen to what Solomon said. He said, I gave up in despair questioning the value of my hard work. I came to hate all my hard work here on this earth. So is the good life found in a job or career? It's not according to Solomon. You see, Solomon had everything. And yet Solomon was empty. And as Solomon wrote about his search, he said over and over again, everything is meaningless. It is completely meaningless. You see, our problem is just like Solomon's problem. We have come to believe a lie. We have come to believe that the good life is somehow found in the things of this world or the people of this world. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the things of this world nor the people of this world will ever satisfy you. But that's what our enemy has been telling us from the very beginning. But what you need to understand is our enemy promises you life. He promises you the good life, but what he's going to give you is death. Now, our enemy is known by different names. In the Bible, he's called the serpent, the deceiver, the accuser, the devil, Satan. But whatever you call him, his plan is always to use deception and lies To keep you from all that God has planned for you. To keep you from all that God created for you. Listen to what Jesus said about Satan in in John chapter 8. He says, he has always hated the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar. He is the father of all lies. Satan is the one who who lied to Adam and Eve in the garden. And because they believed the lie, they lost everything. And Satan has been lying to all of humanity ever since. And though he may offer the world and everything in it, what he delivers in the end is death. I want you to look at the first part of that verse I asked you to turn to. John 10, it's verse 10. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. In this verse, Jesus calls Satan the thief. And from the very beginning of time, his plan has been to kill and to steal and destroy. And the way he does it is through deceiving us and misleading us. He tells us that the good life is found in in being our own God. The good life is found in doing our own thing. The good life is found in making our own rules. The good life is found in the created things of this world rather than the creator who made them all. And we believe the lie. 
And so we go after things and we go after relationships and we go after pleasures and we go after the jobs thinking that somehow, someway, the good life is going to be found in these things and they're not. You see, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal, to steal your joy. There are some of you here this morning who are absolutely miserable. I mean, you're filled with depression, you're filled with despair, you live in a defeated life, and you think the reason you're living this way is because you don't have the things somebody else has. You don't have the relationship somebody else has. You're not experiencing the pleasure someone else has. You don't have the job that someone else has, but that's a lie. The reason you're living this defeated life is because you don't have Jesus. And as long as you keep looking for the good life in the wrong places, you're going to live a life without joy, without real happiness. But the thief not only comes to steal our joy, the thief comes to kill our bodies. The reason we grow old, the reason we get diseased, the reason we ultimately die is because in the beginning we believed a lie. Satan told our ancestors, if you disobey God and trust me, you will be like God. But because they believed a lie and trusted the enemy, they lost everything. Their bodies began to die and eventually they experienced the pain of death and you and I will as well. The thief comes to steal. The thief comes to kill. And the thief comes to destroy, to destroy our, our purpose for existence. The Bible says that God created us in his image, in his likeness. It doesn't say that about any other of the created order. God made us different from every animal. God made us different from the angelic beings. We are distinct. We are unique. And God created us for a special relationship. That's hard for our, our, our small minds to fathom. But God made you for a purpose. And that purpose was so that you could live with him forever. Enjoying his love. And loving him in return. And Satan wants to destroy that. And he does. When we believe a lie. He steals our joy, he kills our bodies, he destroys our purpose for existence. And it's all because we believe a lie. We believe the good life is found in things and relationships and pleasures and jobs and careers and, and everything else that this world offers. But Jesus promises life, the good life. You see, that's the promise of Easter. Jesus didn't come to this earth to, to give us an example to live by. Jesus didn't come to this earth to, to teach us great truths. Jesus came to this earth to give us life. He came to this earth to give us good life. He came to this earth to restore what is taken from us when we believed the lie. In John chapter 10 the latter part of verse 10, Jesus said, my purpose, Jesus' purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. 
In John 10, verse, or John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after he dies. You see, many of us have this, this idea that, that Easter and the resurrection is all about someday. It's all about life in the future. One day we will experience the good life, but life right now is a struggle. Life right now, we're just simply to grin and bear it. But Jesus said, I've come that you can have life, the good life, right now. In John chapter 5, Jesus said this. He said, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed out of death into life. Already. The moment we place our faith in Jesus and his spirit comes to live in us, we are given the good life. And notice what he says in John 10. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have a satisfying life. Depending on your translation, it may say, I've come that you might have life and have an abundant life, have a fulfilled life, have a life that is overflowing. The word there literally means superabundance. Jesus said, I've come not just so that you can live and breathe and make it through this life. Jesus said, I've come so that you may have life to its very fullest. Think about it this way. You have to go out of town on a business trip. So you're flying to Dallas. And because it's a business trip and you're on an expense account and your account is limited, the car that you rent at the airport is a Ford Escort. Now, now understand, if you've got a Ford Escort, there's nothing wrong with a Ford Escort. It gets you where you want to go. Gets good gas mileage, it gets you there safely. But a Ford Escort has no frills. And so you get to the rental agent, and the rental agent looks up your name, and this says, I am so sorry. We're out of Ford Escorts. Could I give you an upgrade? You say, could you give me an upgrade? Well, yes. You can give me an upgrade. And so he types in some numbers, and he says, all of our cars are checked out except one. It's a Mercedes convertible. Would you mind taking that one? You go, well, it's going to be a burden, but yes, I'll take it. And I mean, it's loaded. The, the audio equipment is amazing. It's leather seats. You sit down and you feel like you're sitting in heaven. It's crazy fun. And you're driving that. You've been upgraded. And that's what it says here. Jesus said, I didn't come so that you could have a Ford Escort. He said, I've come so that you can have a Mercedes convertible with plush leather with an incredible surround sound system. I want you to have it all. That's what Jesus is saying figuratively. He said, I don't want you to just mope through life. I want you to have life to its very fullest. So how does he provide that? Well, first of all, he takes away the fear of death. You see, many people 
live their entire life fearing death. And it may not be every hour of every day, but, but whenever we think about death and the reality that is coming, we live in fear. But Jesus has conquered death. In 1 Corinthians 15, we are told that he is the first fruits of a great harvest. You see, death is not the end. And so when I walk through life, I can walk through life living in reckless abandonment, knowing that God is on his throne and death is not the end. So I don't have to live in fear anymore. But I can also live the good life because I have a new perspective as I walk through life. You see, I understand that no matter what happens in my life, Jesus is with me. He said, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, he is with us. And because he is with us, we have a peace that is beyond our ability to understand. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. When we realize he's walking with us every step of the journey, it changes everything. But that's not all. We can live the good life because the Apostle Paul said that God has given us everything we need to enjoy life. Everything. Let that sink in. God's Word says that He has given us everything we need to enjoy life. He's not going to hold anything back. If you need it, if you really need it to enjoy life, He will give it to you. Here's what I've discovered. And I've just got to be honest with you. Everything that I've needed to enjoy life, He's given to me. But can I go a step further? And, and this is just my testimony. He's not only given me everything that I needed to enjoy life. He's given me beyond that and more as I walk through life. That's our God. He, he takes away the fear of death. He gives us a peace that passes understanding. And as we are going through this life, he says, I'm telling you that I'm going to give you everything that you need as you walk through this life to enjoy the journey. You see, with Jesus, we can enjoy life now. But also with Jesus, we can enjoy life forever. You see, death in the grave has been defeated when I breathe my last breath here on this earth, it's not the end, it's the beginning. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, the eye hath not seen, the ears haven't heard. It hasn't even entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Did you get that? No eye has ever seen what God has planned. No ear has ever heard anything that is so incredible as what God has planned. No mind can even imagine on its greatest day what God has planned for those that love Him. The Bible tells us that He's going to give us a new body that's free from pain and disease and defect. You, you think this... This earth, this world is beautiful. 
The Bible says that he's going to destroy it all and make everything new. And it's going to be far better than it ever was before. And we are told that the dwelling place of God is going to come down. And God is going to make his dwelling among us. A new body. A new earth to enjoy. The fellowship of God each and every day. Like Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. All of that to look forward to. You see, the good life that is ours because of Easter is a life to be enjoyed right now, and it's a life to be enjoyed forever. But that good life isn't found in things. It's not found in relationships. It's not found in pleasures. It's not found in a job or career. The good life is found in Jesus. And there are some of you here today that you're still wondering, am I ever going to have the good life? And as long as you look in the wrong places, you're not. But today, if you'll humble yourself and acknowledge that the good life is not found in the created, the good life is found in the creator, then you can experience it. And the life he gives is beyond anything you could ever imagine. And so do you want the good life? Do you need it? Well, here's what you have to do. You have to admit you have a problem you can't solve. That problem's sin. We're all sinners. And until you humble yourself before God and acknowledge, God, I've done it my way rather than your way, you're not going to have the good life. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross, rose from the grave, so that you could be forgiven of your sins, set free, and begin to live the good life. And then you have to commit your life to Jesus. In Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Confessing Jesus as Lord is committing your life to him. So if I admit my problem, I believe that Jesus Christ came to forgive, give my sins and to give me the life that only he can give and I commit my life to him then and only then will I be able to experience the good life so do you want it do you need it I want you to bow your head with me I want you to close your eyes and with every head bowed with every eye closed if you're here today and right now you know that you need Jesus the only way you know that is because the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you're willing to turn from your sin and trust Jesus to save you and commit your life to him. If you're willing to do that today, then I encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I come to you today humbly asking you to forgive my sins. I'm tired of doing life my way. Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you came to this earth. You died on a cross. You rose from the grave so I could be forgiven. So right here, right now, I'm asking you to save me. And I'm trusting you. Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. I'm committing my all to you. Take control of my life. Fill me with your spirit, I pray. 